amen to that. <laughs> All right. I'm going to invite you to stand up and sing with me some praise. Great. 
Lord is good and the Lord is faithful. Yeah, we can clap for the Lord, Ruth. I love it. Thank you. So, yeah, you know, being in masks means we have to try like double, triple, or quadruple hard to have energy in here. So it, when Felipe encourages you to clap, just get those clapping hands out. And instead of like figuring out how to keep with the rhythm, instead figure out how can you clap the loudest? Have you ever done that when you were a kid? Like, how can I make the loudest clap? If I, if I put my hand like this, will it make it louder? That's what I want to hear. I want to hear how we can clap the loudest because we're creating energy for ourselves as we're worshiping the Lord. And also, it really encourages our awesome team that puts in so much work and time and effort to bring us this. Yeah. So it's encouraging them also. So when you hear him invite you to clap or, or to... I'm not sure I've ever heard you invite them to stomp along, but whatever you invite them to do, just do it wholeheartedly, because then we together as a family get to do this. So in Hebrews 4, Paul reminds us of this, verses 12 and 13. For the word of the Lord is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered. It is laid bare before the eyes of God to whom we must give account. It says that God doesn't even read our thoughts. God's also able to understand even our intentions. I don't know about you, but I just know in the past week there have been thoughts and intentions that I'm not too proud of. And so this is also a time where we can be honest before the Lord and receive that grace through being honest and confessing. So let's pray together. Father, we recognize that in this past week there have been thoughts, there have been intentions that have not made us proud, certainly haven't made you proud. Thoughts and intentions that would hurt other people. Thoughts or intentions that would even hurt ourselves. Lord, we ask that you would hear now this silent confession, our, our contrite hearts, this humble posture before you, recognizing that we have at times had, had those wrong intentions or thoughts in our heads. God loved the world so that he gave his one and only son that whoever might believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. We give our, our hearts of faith, our minds of faith, our confidence over to that one who died for each one of us. We base our lives on a grace that has come from 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ on a cross and his resurrection. So let us raise our voices once more, singing about the one who has brought us our salvation, who has brought us this ability to be rescued. Let's join our voices. Time, say. 
right, everybody to have a seat, but also it's a time for our children to head off to their time. Pastor Christie's going to be leading them today in their children's church, so great to see. Hey, there are some kids here that haven't been here um, for a while, so I'm so happy. Karan, so good to see you. I'm so glad that you're with us here today. Yeah, you guys can head out, or Caleb is going to beat all of you there. Next Sunday, Mother's Day, we're excited for you to be here as a mother or to bring your mother, <laughs> and we're going to have a time to celebrate that, pray over them. Also, it's going to start a seven, seven weeks of us as leaders sharing with our church uh, where we think we are being called to be. Two Sundays. Was it in two Sundays? Sorry. I'll blame it on my foot. Can I still do that? Could use that excuse a little longer. <laughs> yeah, so Mother's Day, whenever that is, we're going to be doing a, a beautiful time with the mothers, but also we'll be starting in talking about uh, where we see the Lord leading us. We, as leadership team, I went through a process called Refocus 21, and we, we dug down deep into who we are as a church, where, where we see the Lord uniquely calling us right here in the West Valley 2021 and moving forward. So we're excited to be sharing that with all of you in the ways that we believe you can, you can, Shana turned a phrase about rivers, jump into the river. You said that once. I love that. A way for us to, for all of you to also join in what God's doing, jumping into the river so that you can experience God for yourselves in new and fresh ways. We'll talk all about that in the coming, coming weeks on Mother's Day. We'll start that. Today we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We're in the fourth Sunday of Easter, if you're keeping track in your, in your scorebooks there. Fourth Sunday of Easter, and the lectionary reading for today is from Acts 4. We're going to be reading verses, starting in verse 5, clear down to verse, I think, 12. This is what the word of the Lord has for us today. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Okay, pause there. Who knows what Peter and John had just did? Without cheating, without going back in the Bible. They had just healed somebody. It says that they had not been able to walk since birth. Okay, so... Peter and John have gone to the temple the day before. There's this guy reaching out for, for uh, receiving some sort of uh, money or something. What does, what does Peter say, famously? Peter, silver and gold I have not, but, in, but I give to you, I give freely. In the name of Jesus, stand and walk. And then this guy gets up, walks, and he's then dancing all around the temple courts dancing all around the temple courts, and it says people were looking at him, and they were very confused, because they knew this was, this was the dude that since his birth had not been able to walk, and now they see this guy dancing around and praising Jesus. Okay, so the next day, they're brought before, Peter and John are brought before the leaders. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, Rulers and elders of the people, 
If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the chief cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Would you pray with me for a moment? Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would help us now. We know that we can even not even understand the Bible, your word, unless you are helping us along, unless you are giving us the ability to see how you have revealed yourself to us. Lord, may this be a time once more where we are learning about who you are, who we are, and what you have called us to. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I love how Paul is so clear. Right? He doesn't go into some elaborate tome about what it means to follow Jesus. Some of us are in a Bible study right now. We're studying the book of Romans, and it is the tome. It's really actually a, a deep dive into what Paul sees of who Jesus is. But here he, he keeps it quite short. If you're wondering how he did it, it's Jesus. Period. If you're wondering how he did it, it's Jesus. Now, why this was such a big deal for these leaders to heal here is why. What did these leaders just do before this? Fourth week of Easter, four weeks before that, they had just thought, they thought they had just put an end to this movement. They thought they had just put an end to this whole shenanigan with Jesus. The powers to be were very threatened by this character starting this movement because he seemed to be rewriting their religion. In fact, these leaders were charged with keeping the status quo of their religion. Jesus was coming as a reformer, and he was also calling these leaders out as, as hypocrites, as those who were teaching the ways of the Lord, but living it in a different way. So they were threatened by this Jesus, and yes, they, they have him arrested, and they have him crucified. And in their minds, they've won. In their minds, they have snuffed out this movement. We live in a world in which people aren't always looking out for us. Isn't that true? In fact, we feel like we have to be the one that's walking out for each one of ourselves. We have to be the ones that are on the phone making sure that the insurance is still working. We're the ones that have to be on the phone as we're looking for, for new homes and mortgages, making sure we're not being taken advantage of when we're going to get a new car. When we get sick, we're the ones that have to figure out when it's time to go call a doctor. In the workplace, it's often us who have to stand up for ourselves with our employers, making sure that, making sure that we're getting what we deserve. There are very few times in our lives in which we can feel like someone else genuinely is looking out for us. Such was the case here. The story of Jesus is that they tried to cut out this movement that would bring us our saving. 
We need to understand clearly what Paul is doing by, sorry, what Peter is doing by quoting Psalm 118. Let's put Psalm 118 up on the screen. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was written down centuries before Jesus would walk the earth. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then when Jesus comes, he uses this. He uses this in Luke's gospel to describe himself. He says, I am the stone. And then here again, now, Peter has, has understood. Jesus is the stone that the builders have rejected, but that now becomes the cornerstone. The issue is this. Have you played Jenga? You know Jenga, the game where you have the blocks and you make a tower? So one of my kids, I won't say which one, when we were very young, they would love to play Jenga with me. We would build the thing up, and we would start going, and six or seven moves in, you're, you're pulling the, the blocks out, and you're trying to not make the tower fall. Inevitably, there'd be, there'd be one, one, one level in which there was one block left, and they would start to touch it. I'm like, you can't, if you take that stone, if you take up that, that piece, the whole thing's gonna fall. But I could not convince them, him or her, I could not convince him that it was important to not move that one block. And what did he do? Pulled it out, the thing falls over. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Jesus came, the word here, for what they are describing as salvation. It means rescue, it means salvation, it means escape. Jesus came so that we would have our saving in every way that we need it. Apply it to yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, eternally. Jesus came to be that stone that's as important as that one single block there on the bottom. Why do we as humanity so quickly look to take that one piece out? But here's the gospel. There's no stopping God. Here's the gospel. There's no stopping God. Even though those leaders on that month chose to try and rip that block out from the tower to make it fall down, <laughs> as was foretold from many centuries before, that one block that would be taken out was now to be used as the chief cornerstone. Cornerstone isn't a way that we talk today. It's like the the one beam in your house, the, the load-bearing beam in the middle, and you can't touch that. We have friends that are remodeling their kitchen right now, and they have a pillar right in the middle of their kitchen, and they wanted to take it out. What did the contractor tell them, unfortunately? Can't do it. That one pillar there is a load-bearing beam that's supporting the rafters in your home. Take that out. We're going to remodel your kitchen because <laughs> you're going to need to build a new house. Jesus is that, is that one central load-bearing beam, the chief cornerstone. And through the crucifixion, while those leaders thought they were ending this movement, instead it only empowered the Lord further to make himself known. It's interesting now that in these weeks following, these, these, these leaders of the Jewish people are coming to Peter and John and saying, hey, how did you do this? We know it can't be Jesus because we, we got rid of him. And what do they say? 
If you're wondering how we do this, it's because of Jesus. Do we get it? So that means that Jesus is living and active in the community of his followers. The power of Jesus is living and active in the community of his followers. How can I say this differently? You all are the community in which Jesus is living and active right, right now. Right now. Now, I know for many of us, it feels like we're in the first part of this verse. The stone the builders rejected. I think we go through part one and part two of this verse. It's like an ebb and flow in our lives where sometimes we feel like we're not getting it. We're not getting how the Lord is living and active. Either ourselves are, are, are kind of suppressing uh, the activity of Jesus in our life. We, we're not willing to believe it. We're not willing to have faith in it. Or we see other people trying to suppress it. And so we're in the first part of that verse. But then there are other times we come to in our life where the second verse part of the verse comes alive. And it becomes the cornerstone of our lives. And we get to experience how the Lord is living and active. We see people that shouldn't have turned the corner in their health, turn the corner because of people that are praying for them. We see people that they, they, they deal with mental health issues for so long, you pray for them, and, and, and you're able to see how there is change in their hearts. You see people whose lives are transformed in their sense of moral responsibility because when they begin to follow Jesus, their lives are changed from the inside out. We're, we are called new creations in Scripture. We can come to a place of understanding this larger story of God in which we come to see who we were created to be, your purpose in life as sacrificially loving all people. And in following the way of Christ, in following the way of Christ, and giving ourselves over in faith, then there's the promise that the Holy Spirit, Jesus' enduring presence, comes and becomes a part of our living daily. We begin to experience life in ways that you can't describe. You begin to understand that your steps are being ordered in ways that you could never have imagined. And you get to be a part of a community, a family, in which people from all different backgrounds come together and live as brothers and sisters. And this is all living in to that God is moving. That the gospel is that God cannot be stopped. And even though I, us ourselves might try and suppress him, even though that those around us in power might try and suppress this movement called Christianity or the following of, of Jesus, you know, the early church, they just called themselves the way. They just called themselves the way. I kind of like that. The way. You are now the community, like Peter and John, in which the Lord now is living and is active. And in, and in so being, you will see the Lord moving <laughs> through your life, through the lives of other people. And I guess the imperative we can pull from this today, as much as we have this exciting gospel with us, is we now have to be like Peter and John. And when we're asked, well, what's going on here? We have to point quickly to Jesus. How can you be living, how can you be a part of a church that has that type of reconciliation happening inside of it? You don't, you don't point to a leader in this church, you point directly to Jesus. It's because Jesus is living and active, and that's why things are happening. And, the, and this, 
years to come as we continue to grow and, and find ways to lead the church forward here in the valley and, and, and in denomination that we're in of, of eco. And, and we find ways to continue showing what it means to be a church following the vision of Jesus. We, we never point to leaders here as the reason. But like Peter and John, we always point directly to if you're wondering by whose name we are doing anything in this church, I'll tell you clearly, Jesus Christ. If you're wondering why in my life I have hope even in the face of death, I'll tell you why. It's pretty, pretty easy. Jesus Christ. If you're wondering why you know that you see me suffering right now through this issue with a family member or whatever your issue might be, why do you have any hope that things can be different? Well, it's pretty simple. Jesus is living and active. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that you are living and that you are active. Lord, it is by your hand that we have our breath, that we have our life, that we have our moving and our being. And today we simply give you thanks that you are never finished, that your book does not close, that there is no period on that sentence, but rather, Lord, that you are here among us, that even though you are the stone the builders rejected, that you have become that chief cornerstone of our salvation, of our rescuing, even of the escape from our sin and the effects that we feel in this world. Lord, fill us with that confidence and that faith that we are yours, that you are for us, that we can gloriously call ourselves followers of the way. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to put up on the screen. Sorry, yeah, I'm making you do some gymnastics back there. We're going to put up on the screen the first question to what's called the Heidelberg Catechism. This is written in the late 16th century, part of the Reformation, when, when some people were trying to pull the church back to healthy rhythms of life. And we wrote things throughout history as a church to help us understand what we believe. This is the first question of what the Heidelberg Catechism teaches. It says, what is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer there is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of the way among us here, I would encourage you, let's stand together. Even, I, actually, I want everybody to go ahead and stand so no one feels like they're being left out. Everybody can stand. And if you're willing, I'm going to read the question, and then feel free, if you are a follower of the way, to say this answer. If you have, if you have been with our church for a while and you're still trying to wrestle with this idea of faith, start, start saying these words. Just start putting them on. Try them on like your new set of clothes that Jesus is giving to you. And I think the more that we say these words and speak them to our own hearts, we can begin saying them in faith. 